Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, as Ross mentioned, this is a presbytery meeting as well as a worship service, and we had a presbytery meeting yesterday, and uh, two very encouraging things happened. Um, the first is we were able to hire the next campus minister for East Carolina University, so we're very excited about that, and uh, we'll hopefully be able to give you more information about that once he's able to let his church know and begin that transition. So that was a great, great thing that we've been working on for the last couple months and the committee I'm on. And then yesterday, uh, a dear friend and really an answer to prayer for over six years, uh, Chris Cooper transferred his ordination into the PCA. Chris Cooper is the RUF campus minister at North Carolina Central University. And man, it has been a joy to see his pursuit to grow in the Lord and to come under our fellowship and all that that meant for him to see the gospel go forth in great power, not only at NCCU, but at Christ Central and in our presbytery. And man, he loves this church. He considers you all family. And it just was the highlight of my weekend and probably, I don't know, it was... It was special. They asked me to actually pray for him, and I just was a blubbering mess. Um, this is nothing. I was snot and tears, and it was, it was gloriously beautiful. Um, but today is a special day, too, uh, because uh, God has called Ross and Sarah and Gus and Emerson here, and we are thankful. What a crazy time as we sit here in masks having to social distance, and they moved up knowing they were going into craziness, crazy times here in North Carolina, and yet they were courageous to do it, and you have loved them well so far, and some of you still haven't actually even been able to meet them yet in person, so Lord willing, as we continue to, to connect, I hope that will be the case. So earlier uh, on Tuesday, as I told Ross, hey, I, I'm planning on preaching on First Peter 5 for the service, he said, that's amazing, that's and one of the passages I consider fundamental to how I think about life and ministry. I thought that was a really cool providence of God. And then I pulled out my notes. And usually when I pull out for my notes for my sermon, I'm like, ugh, God bless my congregation who puts up with what I do. But listen to the, I mean, I read this and I'm like, oh, again, God, your timing. Times of persecution and suffering can divide the church. Humility can unite the church, particularly during times of suffering. That was written, I wrote that down like seven years ago, or five years ago. How much more true is it right now? In this season of suffering and national division and church division and division among friends and family, we need global humility. Dan Dorney says all of us need to be humble because all of us are sinners and we are proud. And our pride reveals itself in our relationships, in our worry, and our resistance to follow God and to love others. And in this passage, Peter says, all of you clothe yourselves in humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me pray for us. Father, help us as we look at this passage to not bristle at your love for us and your encouragement and your rebuke to us this morning. Help me to be concise and quick as we have many things to do in this service yet and 
yet to be faithful and clear to your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we don't have time to look at 1 Peter 4, but at the end of 1 Peter 4, Peter is helping the church prepare to suffer. They are suffering, they're being persecuted, he is worried about them, and he's worried about how they're going to interact with each other. And he says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So while they're suffering, they're called to do good. See, we have this opportunity when suffering comes it will either cause us to crumble or we can find opportunity to rest in the Lord so how do we do that if you were thinking about how you would encourage people to persevere in suffering where would your mind naturally go well this is where Peter's goes to the church it's really an, kind of a, an odd thing for most of us that's not where we head but he says look I want you to know that the way the church can go through suffering is by letting humble shepherds lead you. Look at verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now there's part of Peter's humility, right? Peter could have come in as the main influencer, as a leader of the church, and say, this is what you have to do. He could come in authoritarian. But he says, I am a fellow elder with you. We have the same calling. We have the same Savior. So, together, let's shepherd the flock. Can you imagine how that word was seared into his brain? That word that he is commanding to the elders is when Jesus restored him after he had fallen. Proud Peter. Nobody is like me. Others will desert you, but not me. And he failed, and he deserted Jesus, and here he is, broken, and Jesus asked him three times, Simon Peter, do you love me? Feed my flock, shepherd my flock. Simon Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. That was emblazoned into his heart and mind because of his own failures before the Lord, because of how his pride came before his terrific fall that he would falter before a young girl who says aren't you a follower of Jesus and he cusses her out this great elder one changed by grace but one who needs humility like all of us and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed he's saying fellow elders we are called to a life of suffering as we shepherd the flock together knowing that God's glory is coming. So he commands them, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. And as he's telling them how to do this, he's not looking so much at methods as motives. Notice what he says. I want you to shepherd them, I want you to oversee them, but not under compulsion. I want you to do it willingly. I don't want you to have to be forced, I don't want you to twist your arm, I don't want it to be this duty. I want you to willingly shepherd the flock. And you can hear it as Jesus has shepherded you, the good shepherd, shepherd the flock as God would have you according to the word of God. Not your own compulsion, but according to the word of God. Not only willingly, but eagerly shepherd the flock. Not for shameful gain, not whether it's for finances or position or power or reputation. I want you to humbly shepherd the flock for the sake of the good shepherd. I want you to do it eagerly, not domineering. I want you to do it humbly. 
over those in your charge. And here's the method. Being examples to the flock. Paul makes those words that make my heart tremble. Follow me as I follow Jesus. I need to be able to say that to you. and That terrifies me because I know. I know where I fall short. But we are called to follow Jesus. I'll quickly change the tone. So, <laughs> Tim Whitmer... A mentor of mine was in Israel, and uh, he was on a tour, and he's written a book on shepherding, studied a lot about shepherding, and if you know much about the ancient Near East, the shepherds didn't lead like our cowboys lead, kind of from behind pushing you on. Shepherds lead from the front. They lead by calling, and the sheep hear their voice, and they follow them. That's the imagery of John 10. So you walk ahead of them, you model as a shepherd, and the sheep follow you the way you go and what you're doing. And so he was there, and there was a tour bus, and they saw someone behind these sheep pushing them. And someone said, wait, you just told us that shepherds lead. So the guide got off the bus, and he went and talked to them, and he came back. He said, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. (laughs) Friends, elders are called to lead in imperfection, but in trust in Jesus. And that takes humility and Christ-likeness. And we're going to talk about how we get that humility. But it's not just elders. Look at 5.5. 5. All of you clothe yourselves in humility. Now, right before that, it says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Friends, the generation gap isn't new. It's not just happened in the U.S. Those who are younger are always have been more um, exuberant, often more passionate, often quick to think and, less, and a little slower to, to consider consequences. And yet, it's for everyone. There's been clashes with authority all along, and so he's saying, especially you younger people who can find it harder to, to submit to the will of the Lord, to submit to those who are saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. But then he says, I want all of you to clothe yourselves with humility. That, that brings up the imagery, doesn't it, of Jesus who took off his garments, wrapped himself in a towel, and went and washed his disciples' feet. The ultimate servant, the ultimate leader, the ultimate shepherd who is willing to get down on his hands and knees and, and get between the toes and get the filth and slime and dirt. See, God is calling us to this type of humility. Listen to what Ed Clowney says. Peter is calling for humility in situations of hostility, betrayal, and persecution. Particularly in such situations, Christians are tempted to react in pride, perhaps even to draw the sword as Peter did in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is such pride that the promise of the Lord dispels. Christians can trust the power of the Lord, for His hand is mighty. They can trust the faithfulness of the Lord, for their cares are His concerns. See, this idea of mutual submission before the Lord and to the order He's given us helps us find submission to, to our God who tells us how to live life well. That enables us to humble ourselves before others. Well, how do we do that? Look at verse 6 and 7. 
He said, all right, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do you do that? Well, he again commands, humble yourselves before the Lord. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How do you learn humility? By casting yourself before the Lord. Humility comes before the throne of the grace of God. Because, friends, what happens is in our pride, we don't need to know go before God. We know what should be done. We know how things should go. And we try to act in such a way that we are the ones who are understanding. Again, Clowney says, the humility that serves others is found at the throne of God's grace, for God opposes the proud, not just because pride despises our fellow humans, but because pride rebels against them. And when we cast our cares on the Lord, whatever they may be, we often find that they're concerns of our pride not the cares of his kingdom. See, isn't sometimes our pride, God, shouldn't you be doing life this way? Shouldn't you be acting this way in my life or in the life of those who love me? We're trying to tell God how he should rule the universe. We're trying to tell God, you should bend the rules, break the rules for me. And when we come before the throne of grace, we say, God, you're the mighty one. You're the one who can be trusted. You're the one to whom we can bow, casting all our anxieties because you care for us because you are a good good father as we sing then he goes on and here's i got to be super quick here there's so much to i could pull out but verses eight to nine you got to watch out brothers and sisters we are being hunted it's life and death we don't like to think much about spiritual warfare we kind of ignore it. We, we don't see it. We'll talk about it somewhat. Most every pastor I talk to right now feels like this has been one of the greatest seasons of spiritual warfare the church has seen in our recent times that we can remember. And he says, your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he says, resist the evil one. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are to be experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Be watchful. Do you remember when Peter fell asleep? When he wasn't watchful? Do you think he wonders what would have happened if he stayed awake? Do you remember how he wasn't able to stay awake and pray? And so what did he do? He pulled the sword. He cut the ear off. He didn't fight God's way. This, the key, the way to humility, to fight pride, is to pray. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of disunity, we are called to pray. Because it humbles us, and it takes us to the one who is mighty, who can do good things. Because though we're being hunted, we're not alone. Look what he says. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, we, the children of God, who are united together, will Himself, God Himself, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. You're being hunted, but King Jesus is with you. Ed Clowney has another line. He says, that lion is tethered. He's on a chain. He can only go so far. 
See, part of what that imagery is saying is he'll come after you. He's going to scare you. He's going to try to make you run away from God. And yet, Paul tells us there's no temptation that sees you except what's common to everyone. We do not have to run in fear and sin. We can trust that God will confirm, establish, and strengthen because He is King Jesus. And so for a church that was suffering, facing persecution, tempted to divide, he says, I want you to remember God is King. Yes, you're being hunted, but He is with you. And I've given you your church. I've given you frail, broken men who need to follow Jesus, who say, follow Jesus as I try to follow Jesus as we have this mutual humility, as we clothe ourselves in humility and the grace of the gospel. And I don't get to charge Ross directly, but Ross, humble yourself before the throne of grace. Seek the good shepherd and be a good shepherd. Let me pray for us. Father, you are so kind to us. But we all need humility. We need global humility from the the most seasoned saint to the most new saint. And we can only do that when we come before you. Lord, give us grace to lay down our sword. Give us grace to humble ourselves, to lay down our pride. Give us grace to trust in your sovereign mercy. Give us grace to be willing to humble ourselves and pray how slow we are to pray. How infrequent and paltry are most of my prayers. Lord, teach us to pray that we would be humbled by you, but one day exalted, and that our pride would be cut out at the throne of grace, that we would trust in you, the good shepherd of our souls. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This time